This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. We're up here near the Cave Creek, Arizona area of Dynamite Road. And uh, again, as always, you know, we're, just, we're just glad you're here, you're listening. And uh, today is January the 19th, 2021. Crazy times, still crazy times. What's, what's happening out there in the world with the coronavirus? What's going on out there in the world with politics? Uh, the division in our country, uh, blames being thrown everywhere as this person's fault, and they said this, and they did that, and all these other things. And if you really stop and think about that, it's very insulting to you and me and to the American people that the only way we think Think about anything is through one particular person's rhetoric, whoever that might be. Well, I'm not sure about you or everyone else out there. But I don't do that. I have a standard I live by. I take news in from all kinds of sources, and I try to put it all together to figure out what the truth is. And, and I learned that from just a couple of teachers that I had throughout my time in schooling. Not all teachers, but I remember particularly there there was this one. His name was Mr. Berg, B-E-R-G. I believe he was of German descent. Mr. Berg was a history teacher I got, and nobody wanted him as the history teacher. I had heard warnings about him when uh, before I got his class. I said, oh, you don't want Mr. Berg for history. And because he makes you read a lot. And then our, our first day in that class, uh, we would come in. Of course, we already had our history book. And uh, he told one kid, you turn to this page in our history book that was assigned to you. And then he handed out other history books to some other students and told them to turn to other particular pages. And he had one kid read our history book, and it had something to do with the, the American uh, or no, World War II, World War One, World War One, And then he had to read another one, same account, but it was a little different. And then another history book, and it was still yet different. And another one, and it was different. And he told us that the history books all came from different countries. And it's their perspectives upon these events. Why is it different? We were all were like, well, you know, different perspectives. And he said, well, who's telling the truth? Oh, good question. We didn't know. So he told us, all right, everyone, close your history books. Put them underneath your desk. And he handed out this sheet of a list that had dates on it. And he said, go down to the library, pick out a book, any book that's from that history, that time, and uh, you, you're going to start reading that. And being in the, the freshman class, we had to read three books uh, 
each quarter, each sem- well, not semester, yeah, each quarter. So you know, three six for for the uh, first semester, six for the the following semester, semester two, and then the next year in sophomore, I made sure I got him again. I loved him because I loved that. That's what we did. We read history books and we learned and we we read it for, and we would all talk about it and discuss it in class and and decipher truth by by gaining pulling in all this stuff. And you can if you get get enough information, you can find the truth. And so I do that. I know this is probably more information than you're looking for or what's going on, but maybe you're out there and you're scared about what's going on or what might be coming. And I'll be honest with you, I, I'm, a, I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous. Uh, but maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you think that, well, no, this incoming uh, administration they're going to do better things. There's going to be less rhetoric, and good will happen. It'll be better for the country, and it'll be uniting. And uh, you know what? I could be wrong. Maybe you're right. Maybe it will go well. Maybe he will, uh, Biden, Joe Biden will unite the country, and things won't be as bad as I think or, or others are saying it might be. And I hope I'm wrong. And if I am wrong, if I'm wrong, and you, those are out there who, who believe Biden will do good for the country and will not be divisive, I will be, get on this program, and I will admit it, because I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong. I don't want things to come that, that seem like they're coming. Boy, this sounds like a downer, doesn't it? How scary if, if I'm right that you know things aren't going to go well. And that we have a lot of uh, uh, possible, well, hardships. Like, um, for example, I remember, what was this, six or seven years ago, it started in Colorado. They wanted to um, regulate speech. I can't remember what they, the hate crime law of some type, that you can't speak out against homosexuality. And some of the things they cited was preachers preaching from the Bible, certain passages, Romans chapter 1, I'm sure is what they were referring to in other places. They don't want that. You can't say that. If someone was to come into the the worship assembly and you preached on that or you read that scripture, that'd be hate speech and you could be prosecuted. They wanted to pass a law about that. I believe that it is not beyond the realm of possibility that that sort of law is what they're wanting to implement. And that they probably have the votes in the people there to do it. That scares me. Does that mean I'm going to change what I'm preaching or teaching here at the North Valley Church Christ? No, it won't. I will not take down my programs that talk about that. They probably will. But I won't. And I'll keep teaching the truth. I won't specifically go out there and say, well, if you're going to ban that, I'm going to make sure I preach on it Sunday. Uh, that won't be my motivation, but since it'll be on the minds of folks, I might say something. Would they come and arrest me? Well, I guess, because I'm not going to change. I uh, Some friends of mine, they had to change their uh, their address. They, they sent in the, the name that, they, that they, they said in the email, we're moving, and here's our new address, or we have a new address. I think I assumed they were moving because it was a new address. And... Um, I told folks, well, they're moving. We didn't know this was coming. It's going to be on March 1st. That'll be their new address. So I guess they're moving. Well, it turns out I was wrong. They're not moving. They were Their address was being changed to a different different name. The other name was, the, the street was Robert E. Lee. 
Now, I, I'm not a huge fan of Robert E. Lee. Was he a, a, a great general? Well, yeah, he was a really good general. He was awesome. Uh, I don't agree with uh, the fact that he was fighting for the South. I'm, I was for the North. I know some people say, well, he, the, the South was fighting for independence. Well, there's debate about that. I don't think so, but it doesn't matter at this point. We know who won. <laughs> and, um, you know, they lost. The South lost. And if you lose, why, why give names to, to different things? But if you want to name a street, Robert E. Lee, okay. That doesn't bother me. But why force a change, forcing it, making people change things? We don't like the way this sounds, so you're going to change it. And, we, and many of us may think, well, you know, it is the, the South, and they did lose. And, yeah, there's an argument for that, but that's not their reasoning. That's not their purpose for changing it. Well, I, I shouldn't say that that's what it is here. Maybe it's something I don't know about. I don't know. But I do get the feeling that there is a motivation out there and it's not has nothing to do with who Robert E. Lee was or anything like that. It just has everything to do with controlling what we say in our country. That scares me. That scares me. Chris, are you ever going to get to the Bible? Yes, I am. Don't worry. We are. We're going to be talking about a passage a little bit about what I spoke on Sunday night from Matthew chapter 10, a lesson titled, Do Not Fear. And Jesus is talking to the disciples, telling them, you're going to go out and preach the kingdom, and there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be hardships. But don't worry, don't fear. And we'll get to that in a moment. And I'm setting the stage because there's a lot for Christians to be fearful of. But there's possible reasons why these things are happening in this country. I, I could I can share them with you, but they're, they're only my thoughts, suppositions. I, I'm not others. I'm not a prophet. You know, I don't I don't receive nobody, no matter what they say. No one receives a direct revelation from God. Okay, it doesn't happen. The only way, only revelation we get is what we read from the Bible. Period. Period. You may disagree with me on that. That's just another topic of discussion. But um, there are times when God may look down upon his kingdom, maybe not specifically upon America in this particular case that I'm thinking of, uh, but he may be looking down and say, all right, church, you're getting really arrogant. You think you're strong. You think uh, you're standing tall, but you are not. And uh, you're looking to, to too many other things and not to me, and I'm going to humble you a bit. Kind of like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that story from Daniel? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar got too too pompous, too arrogant, and as the words were coming out of his mouth, all the things he had done, God struck him dumb. And after those seven years of being like an animal out there in the field, he came to his senses. Uh, and in many other cases where God will humble Israel so that she would turn back to him. And it could be happening that God's saying, look, I want to give the church real hardship now. And when you do that, when you put the church to the fire, like we may be coming to, what happens? It, 
it burns out the impurities, right? That's what you do with gold. If you want to get pure gold, you've got to put it to the fire, and it burns out the impurities, and all that you're left with is pure gold. So all those who claim to be Christians, but they're only pew warmers, well, they'll leave. They'll leave. And all you'll be left with is the pure gold of the church. So it could be that. It could be kind of like uh, in the uh, days of old, the, the kings of, uh, of Judah, Judea, Judea. When Josiah, remember Josiah? He was a good king. He did a lot of good. Of course, he made some mistakes, especially there at the end when he went up against the, the uh, Pharaoh of Egypt, Necho, and he died. But he was doing a lot of good for Israel, moving them in the right direction. But was it enough? It was not. A few kings later, and all the kings after him were bad. A few kings later, that was it for, for Judea. Gone. God uh, sent them off into captivity. It wasn't enough. Too little, too late. Maybe that's what's happening to us. I think Trump was a great president. Is a good, great president. He's still president today. Tomorrow he won't be. So maybe. But then again, like I was saying earlier, I could be wrong. And I hope and I pray I'm wrong. That we are not headed to more difficult times. And I have been praying to God about it that he... He will not bring calamity upon us. But what do we do as Christians? Man, what do we do? There's a lot of talk out there. There's always talk out there of succession and civil war and all these other things. Well, I don't believe the Christian should ever be the one that takes up arms, period. The Christian should not be doing that. Am I saying it's wrong in certain cases? Well, no. No, in certain cases, not wrong. Sometimes, like, like the Founding Fathers, they, did, they went out of their way. And we talked about this in the past. They, they went out of their way to make peace, to keep peace with the crown, with England. But uh, they, they just kept fighting them. They sent troops, and they were, you know, we didn't fire the first shots. They did. We didn't want war. No one wants that. They shouldn't. Anyone who wants war, oh, they're wrong. Too much death, heartache. We don't want that. What's the Christian to do? In Matthew chapter 10, uh, in, in, in the middle of what Jesus is saying to his disciples there, verses 24 to 33, it's a text about dealing with fear. It, it's natural to fear. You know, We're always going to have it, but don't let that fear master you. And there's a lot going on to make us fearful, to make us afraid. I know that. I talk to folks. They're, they're scared. They're afraid. Don't fear. And the structure of this paragraph we're looking at, starting there in verse, verses 24 and 25, it, it and ends also in the last two verses of that section with principles that have to do with the relationship between the disciple and his master. And in between those two principles are three exhortations to not act out of fear. And and three reasons why disciples are not to be afraid. But let's start with that first principle that a disciple is not above his teacher. Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher. 
nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of the household? So, verse 24, let me uh, get here where I'm supposed to be at. Verse 24 sim- you know, lays out that simple truth about the, that, that principle, you know, that parallel uh, between the relationship of a teacher, a disciple, master, slave. You know, one has uh, oversight over the other. We all know how that works. One superior, one is in a superior position. The other is in a lesser position. And people will always associate the disciple with the teacher or the slave with the master and treat them accordingly. If they have respect for the teacher, then you'll have respect for the disciple. If you think the, the teacher is a, is a loon, a goofball, well, pff, you're a disciple of that guy. You must be a moron. You might have that kind of attitude toward it. If they disrespect the teacher, they'll disrespect the disciple. And Jesus carries that principle a little further in verse 25. He wants to get us to a spot place where we have an understanding about our relationship with him. When he says it is enough for the disciple to become like his, as his teacher, he, he's suggesting that it is the natural aspiration for the inferior to desire to be like the superior. And so the disciple or, or, or the slave would aspire to the very position of teacher or master. So to say it's, uh, it is enough suggests a limit to which that they can attain. They can never be above the teacher, but they can certainly arrive to where the teacher is at. And then the second half of verse 25, he, he, another picture is drawn, and it really brings us to that point he's making. If they called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Here's the application of that principle that the disciple is not above the teacher. Or, or maybe it's better to say an extension of that principle. The way the head of the house is treated determines how those in the house are treated. Jesus gives a real circumstance that the apostles, the disciples he's talking to, they can grab hold of. And it's for you and me too. Not just for those 12, it's for you and me too. We can grab hold of this. By that saying that the head of the house could be called Beelzebub. Now, if someone calls you that, they're saying that you're Satan, that you belong to him and his crowd. If they reject Jesus like that, then as the principle states, they will certainly reject the disciples of Jesus. We know how many in this country, maybe half, I don't know, how what they think about Jesus, the teachings of, of him and Christianity. They don't like it so much, do they? So in light of that, in light of the coming opposition that Jesus was telling his disciples, they're going to run to some problems. You're going to have, and that's what he talked about in the first half of chapter 10. Hey, you're going to go out there to preach the kingdom and you're going to run into some hard times. So be ready. In light of that, here's three reasons you're not to act out in fear. Here's reason number one. Because you are doing sinners a favor. That's right. You're doing sinners a favor. 
Verse 26, he says, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So here Jesus is speaking of the future, right? It sounds a lot like Judgment Day when everything will be revealed. You know, people are are always attempting to cover up some things that they do not want others to know. And Jesus is talking about the reality of sin and how people try to hide their sin in their lives, just like Adam and Eve tried to do that in the Garden of Eden. The reality of the last day is that every sin will be brought to light. You cannot hide your sin and think you've gotten away with it. Uh, it's just not going to happen. All accounts are going to come due on Judgment Day. Look at verse 27. When I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. All right. It, he's talking, Jesus is talking about the message that the disciples, that you and me, will bring to the world. And the expressions he gives here, both of them, they mean the same thing, given in different perspectives. You know, darkness, no one can see what's going on. So Jesus is referring to the fact that the world does not know that he is giving the message of salvation to his disciples to take out into the dark world. Uh, but they're to make it known. If someone whispers in your ear, only you know what was said. But if you uh, get up on your housetop, you pull out your loudspeaker, and you relate what you heard, then everyone knows the message that was given to you. The point that Jesus wants us to see here is that we should not be afraid of those who will oppose us because we're doing them a favor. If it is true, if it's true that you cannot hide your sins from God and that ultimately you will be held accountable for your sin because it will be brought to light in Judgment Day, then if you could show people that they need to prepare themselves for that day so that they are not judged and condemned to an eternal hell for their sins, then you've done them a great favor. Now, when you see your purpose as being light in a world of darkness, it will motivate you not to fear those who are, who, whom you are trying to help. In this way, we become like our teacher, who himself, Jesus, will die or dies by the hand of those who reject him. You get it? Do you see that? I hope so. Here's the second reason. Look at verse 28. Not, not to fear, because they cannot touch what is lasting about you and me. Verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The point is simply that if you are motivated to act out of fear, then there is an even greater fear that should cause you to react correctly. You may feel fear for your life from those who actually kill your body so that your earthly existence comes to an end. But Jesus says there's a greater fear that trumps the kind, that kind of fearfulness. People who could kill you in this realm can't really touch what is of greatest value to you your soul, but God can. He can bring more pain and suffering to your existence than mere people. So the point is simply that if you are motivated by fear, uh, uh, doesn't it make sense to be more afraid of the one who can do the most damage to your existence? Yes. Moving a little fast, we're running out of time. Reason number three not to fear, because God has a real fatherly concern for you. 
verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than sparrows. So, you know, Jesus gets us thinking about some insignificant creatures there with the sparrows. They're pretty insignificant, pretty cheap. God knows what's going on down here. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He has them numbered. I've read somewhere that there's a neighborhood of 140,000 hairs on your head. God has a great concern for us. He's there watching you with concern. And Jesus ends things out in those last two verses, 32 and 33. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying that how we respond to fear determines how he responds to us. Is it fearful time? Well, I think it's coming. And yeah, you're going to have free fear. That's, that's natural. But how you respond to that fear determines how Jesus will respond to you. Who do you fear most? This government, the world, this country, whatever it might be, Trump, Biden, doesn't matter. If you fear them more than God, then you will deny Jesus. You will. And it's not this like one-time lapse of judgment like, you know, Peter, when Peter denied Jesus, but he came back. This is, in the Greek, it's, it's a, a one-time action that continues, and you keep denying, and you still deny, and you never come back. It's like you come to the Lord, and then you turn your back on him because, whoa, man, that was hard. Jesus is pretty much saying, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you better know what you're getting into. This is going to be a rough road. And it has been easy to be a Christian in this in this country. It has been. I mean, yeah, it's hard. You're denying yourself. There's a lot of hardships, but not like the apostles went through, not like the first century Christians went through. But it might be coming. Are you ready? Is your faith fortified and ready to, to deal with this? I hope so. I hope so. That's what I'm talking about. Do not fear. Find strength in the Lord. He, that's, he is with you always. Lord, I'm with you even to the end of the age, he told his disciples. And that's for you and me. He's always there. I wish I could keep talking. I got so much more I want to say to you, but time constraints. We're going to have to bring things to a close. Don't be fearful, folks. Pray and read always for the, the days are evil. Take care and God bless. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.